Create for No Reason is your weekly dose of courage to stop making excuses and start bringing your ideas to life. Hello, hello. I hope you are doing awesome. Okay. I talked to another TikToker on this episode and it was a really fun show. I hope that you like it. I feel like I might be, I don't know if my guests are rubbing off on me, but I'm feeling a little bit like maybe I want to dabble into TikTok a little bit. I don't know. We'll see if this feeling keeps going. Maybe it won't, but (laughs) I have created a couple of videos over there just to test because I do find it to be an interesting platform. Anyway, my guest today is another TikToker. Last week was Stu Jeffrey, who was delightful and hilarious, and he just makes me laugh, which was so fun. And today I got to talk to Don Martin, who has a podcast, and he also is a writer, he's a creative, he's a lot of different things. In fact, one of my first question that I asked him was, how do you describe what you do? And it's it was hard for him to really describe it because he does so many different things. And our conversation was awesome. We talked about his show, we talked about writing, we talked about some of the interviews that he's had. We've talked, we talked a little bit about influencers, full-time influencers versus people that are just creating content uh, for different reasons. And it was a fun episode, really, just like him. He's very multi-passionate with lots of topics. This show was jam-packed with lots of different topics. So I hope you enjoy the conversation that I got to have with Don. I'm so excited to introduce you to someone who I just recently discovered online, It is Don Martin. He is an author of the books, The Dabbler's Guide to Witchcraft and While I Wait to Be a God Again. He is also the host of the podcast, Head on Fire, a search for answers to life's biggest and smallest questions. He currently lives in the suburbs of Chicago with his husband and their many pets. And you can find him online at Head on Fire Pod or in the corner of coffee shops, feverishly completing his debut novel. So I am so excited to introduce you to my new friend, Don Martin. Hi, Kate. So nice to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for doing this. I am very much looking forward to our conversation because, like I said, I I recently discovered you over on TikTok. And you, right before we got on, I, I said... Don, you have the, you are such an eloquent speaker. He is like the most well-spoken person on the internet and you're such a a creative individual. So I kind of want to start with how do you describe yourself? Like, how do you describe what it is that you do? Oh gosh. You know, that's a weird, uh, that's a weird answer mostly because I think as, um, as my profile sort of gets bigger and as more people discover me, uh, I, I have been likened to a lot of people um, like Hank Green, but blonde or <laughs> just, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm one of those weird people that sort of grew up, uh, you know, in the early days of the internet, millennial and have a lot of different interests. Um, I don't have just, just kind of one thing that I do. I, sometimes I wish that I did, uh, you know, I'm, I, I have friends that are visual artists and I would love to just be a visual artist or just be one thing. Cause I feel like, you know, you could go really deep, uh, in that. And unfortunately I am a, uh, an incorrigible, um, 
an insatiable uh, weirdo that just <laughs> wants to try absolutely everything and do a little bit of everything. So um, yeah, I, I guess that's it. I'm an in incorrigible weirdo. <laughs> <You're> an <laughs> that sums it up. Uh, that's interesting that you say that because I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine over the weekend because it, and and it was kind of the same argument. I thought those people that they are so good at this one thing, like, what is that like? Yeah. Because I feel like I'm the same kind of, I have all these different interests, but who's to say if it's better or, or worse, right? It's just what is fulfilling to you. And it seems like you're living this very creative, fulfilling life and you get to dabble in all these things. So that's in and of, that's a beautiful thing that someone who maybe does one thing is looking at it thinking, wow, I want to be more like Dawn and give myself the opportunity to explore more. You know, I think the best advice that I could give anybody because social media is for good or for ill seems to have become a, an indelible part of our lives. We need it uh, as much as many of us would love to delete it off of our phones and go away forever. Uh, we need it. That's how we find one another. That's how we uh, build community. That's how we get messages out. And that's how we let other people know that we're doing things. But I think what a lot of people struggle with is trying to make the algorithm like their thing, their one thing. Mm. Oh, you know, I can't, I had one viral video uh, about a painting six months ago and I sold a bunch of paintings and now I can't, you know, now only 20 people see my content or something like that. Like they get really pressed about trying to be one thing. And, you know, my best advice for people is to be a human first. It's okay to be a person, to be a full person, because you're not just one thing. Even if you are uh, a visual artist, even if you're a painter, even if you're an amazing painter, um, you're not just that. You're a person. You have hobbies, you have other things, you have skills, you have pets, you have loved ones, you have other stories to tell. Um, and I think that the reason that I am finding success or have found any kind of success um, is that I decided a few years ago that I was going to give myself permission to be a whole person, um, especially this year. Uh, 2022 was the year where I said, you know what, I am going to just throw away all of those, like, you have to be a niche, you have to be this one thing, um, throw away all of that rule book and just say, I want to be my whole self at all times. Um, and it seems to be working out. Oh, I really love that. Do you have parameters or anything? I mean, how do you create, how do you decide what kind of content you're going to create? What do you decide you're going to share versus not share? So I have a few different platforms, which I think is um, important for people um, to have. Sorry, it's a little hot here. I think it's important for people to have uh, multiple outlets because multiple outlets let you do different things. Um, TikTok is a good example. TikTok's uh, been a, a cool way to kind of get to express, I don't know, comedic parts of, of my personality or um, get to do a fun skit. But, but uh, you know, every now and then you get to do something that's educational or informational or, you know, something like that. Um, but different platforms let you do different things, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Um, but I have a, a podcast that lets me uh, go really deep into interesting, often overlooked subjects that I think people either already think they know everything about or uh, have never even considered. So I get to talk to different experts in, in those really cool niche fields. And, and that's really cool. And that serves 
part of my personality and that helps fill my cup up because when, I don't know, when the writing is really slow or when the ideas aren't coming for something else, I always have that to fall back on. And I, and I think that's sort of important um, when it comes to like, what content should I create to, to always have different outlets for your creativity? Um, because when one thing isn't really, isn't really going well, you have other wells to draw from. And I think that that's really important, especially for folks that are, you know, that their, their main thrust is a thing, you know, uh, most people get on social media to try to sell some part of themselves. I'm a small business. I own a coffee shop and I want to drum up business for my coffee shop. And the place to do that these days is social media. But the thing is the most successful small business accounts that are able to get those customers in are also showing what their employees are doing off, uh, off their schedule, you know, um, off hours, what else is going on in the community, that kind of thing. So I, I just think it's important to not necessarily consider like, what content am I going to create, but what does each of those platforms give me the opportunity to do? So something might be, you know, uh, Twitter is a place where I can engage in conversation, TikTok, something where it's like, oh, that's weird. Let's go talk about that for a couple of minutes, you know, like that kind of thing. So just recognizing that different things give you uh, different opportunities to have uh, different kinds of conversations. Do you like one platform better than another? No, um, I will. I do. I do. I will say I hate whatever Instagram is becoming. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> I, miss, I, I was talking to a friend and fellow author, Christine Platt. She wrote The Afro-Minimalist Guide to Living with Less. And, you know, we were kind of lamenting the fact that Instagram used to be like food pictures and like just a quick snapshot into your day. It would People did one post. It was one post a day and people literally apologized in the caption if they did more than one post a day. It was like, oh a, my gosh. it was a square and it was your dinner or it was a square and it was just like you posing next to a museum you went to. It's just something like that. And I realized that that got to be a little too curated and a little too perfect and a little too fake and all of that. But I, I hate whatever Instagram is becoming, where it's trying to be all of the apps all at once. Mm. I feel like they're about to add a chat feature so that it can be like Twitter or something like that. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's trying to be too many things and I hate it. Um, but everything else is just sort of like, it has its place. Uh, I don't know, if I'm watching a TV show and just have a random thought about it, I'm not gonna like stop what I'm doing and go make a TikTok. And that's probably a tweet, you know, that kind of thing. Got it. Although I do find it to be very interesting, social media, you had, you'd said in the beginning, we need it, but we, we would probably want to delete it. Like, so talk about that. I mean, I feel like some people are, it almost is there are people who kind of are able to weave it throughout their day and it becomes very natural to them. And then some people who really are challenged by what am I going to say? When am I going to say it? Like, it's kind of very different. It's, it's almost like, I guess some of them are the more full-time creators seem to really take you along to their every single thought, every yeah, single thing. And, and they're not doing very well right now. If you'll notice mm -hmm. a lot of those accounts, so um, those kinds of accounts, like the content creator as, as a profession, like that's my thing is I am a content creator. I create content. What kind of content? Whatever the algorithm wants today. <laughs> that's what I do. That's my content. Those people um, seem to do really well at like the start of the 
Panini uh, in like late 2019, early 2020, when everybody was home and kind of for want of something to do, the, the content creators came in that are just purely content creators, not like comedians doing TikTok or something like that. Like, you know, we're not talking about Nicole Byers coming on and doing a bit. We're talking about like people that, that figured out how to do things that the algorithm liked and do things that kept people on the app. And they got big followings, really big followings. And some of them were able to, to pivot that into book deals or, you know, whatever. Um, but what we're finding now is a lot of those folks are now taking to social media to lament the fact that, oh, my content is, you know, my engagement is down. Nobody's clicking on my videos. Nobody's there anymore. I haven't had much of an uptick in followers in like six months. And why is that? Because the world is opening back up again. And I've seen a lot of, I mean, I'm sure you have as well. I've seen a lot of social media apps come and go, but the one thing that always wins out, you can, you can game an algorithm for a little while. You can figure out what that app was designed to do and do it for a little while. But the thing that always wins out after the, uh, after the app has been out for a while or the website or the whatever it is, is authenticity. That's what people stick around for. That's what, that's what people end up wanting at the end of the day. Um, you know, it, fun dances and or little skits or this or that or something will help you maybe in the beginning, but at the end of the day, people want to connect with a human being. So those content, those content creators that are just content creators, when you're like, oh, hey, what does this person do? Um, you know, if you asked me, like, I'll use him as an example, just because I said his name earlier, what does Hank Green do? I think we all know that Hank, you know, what does he do? Well, he writes books. He's an educator. He, you know, like we could list through, he's got charity organizations. He teaches small kids. He does, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, he's not a content creator. A content creator is somebody that literally is just making stuff to consume. Uh, I, I, it's sort of like um, the difference between, I don't know, a chef and somebody that runs around with a cart just making cotton candy fluff. <laughs> like cotton candy fluff is fun and it has its place, but like at the end of the day, your nourishment is going to come from something else. Mm. So let's talk about your podcast because yeah. it's about searching for answers to life's biggest and smallest questions. And I immediately thought, oh, okay, so what are these questions? And do you have a favorite episode of something that you've explored? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I rebranded everything this year because like I said, I wanted 2022 to be a time when all parts of my identity came together and I was just able to kind of be a whole person online. So I've been podcasting since 2009 and I've had a lot of really cool interviews over the wow. years. Wow. Uh, You're like an to, old school podcaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back when, back when being a podcaster was like, "Ooh, you're a podcaster. Do you have a? <laughs> do you live in your mom's basement? Do you?" Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, yeah, back when being a podcaster was a nasty word, and I remember a couple of years ago seeing a commercial. I think it was for like some kind of medication or something. Seeing a commercial, and some uh, woman was like. I'm a really, I have a very busy day as a podcast producer. And I looked at my husband and I was like, what? <laughs> this is a whole, what? This is a whole job now? Make me one of those. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, know how to, I know how to do the levels. Give, give me that job. That's a, I Googled it. I was like, that's a six figure job. Give me that job. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So I've done a lot of really cool interviews over the years. I've talked 
Uh, I've talked to a self-professed werewolf. I have talked to, oh gosh, I've, I've done a lot of shows, but this year, uh, this year I really kind of opened it up to talking to lots of different kinds of experts. Um, I've talked to a death doula. Uh, that was a really cool conversation. I've talked to, uh, oh, a, um, a professor in Ireland who uh, just discusses media, like um, specifically like the value of reality television, like the academic, the academic uh, uh, need for reality, like the value, sorry, no the academic way. value of reality television. Um, you know, I've, I've had some really cool interviews. I have one coming up tomorrow with an investigative journalist who uh, investigates cults. Um, so I, I, I do a lot of different kinds of interviews, mostly because I want to talk to people that are either in fields, and I've said, I've said this earlier, but I'll repeat it. Um, I want to talk to people in fields that the listener either doesn't know anything about, they didn't even know somebody did that job. I'm very fascinated with people who like have deep wells of expertise in things that nobody even realizes is a job because we all take it for granted that somebody does that job. Yeah. Um, or uh, somebody that's in a field with a deep well of expertise that we all think we already know everything about. Like I talked to a funeral director, Temple Ruff, and I think that if you've been alive, you know people who are dead. <laughs> if you've been alive, <laughs> somebody's died around you, so you know. Um, you, you've probably had a brush with the funeral industry and, and, uh, no matter how many documentaries you've, uh, seen or how many, uh, YouTube videos you've watched, there is something about talking to an actual expert that's been doing the job. And especially that's been doing the job the past few years, where it's just like, there are all always new layers to uncover. Uh, yeah. and what's crazy is like how technologically advanced that, uh, that industry is like we could become a coral reef if we wanted to. Like there, there's, uh, I didn't realize, but there's like the opposite of cremation. Um, so cremation is fire, but there's the opposite of that, which is water. And you can just kind of like be dissolved. And I thought that what? was really cool. I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. No. Who knew? That's I did not. crazy. So, yeah, that's that's the thing. Is that's that's the kind of like aha moment that I want to give my audience of like, well, that blows my mind. Mostly because I'm really interested in the fact that so much of our conversation online in person, no matter you know what community you find yourself in, um, is so riddled with like confirmation bias. Everybody thinks that they know what one another is saying because everybody just sort of plugs your tweet into their existing framework and then yeah. uh, says, oh, well, I already know everything about that. I don't need to ask any further questions. And I'm like, no, no, no. If you stopped and you asked a few more questions, you might be shocked at some of the answers you get. Yeah, that's so interesting. I I, I need to I need to listen to some of those episodes. I, I had listened to the one that you had done with, um, of course, because I'm so I'm fascinated by marketing. So I listened to the one where you interviewed the marketing, somebody that works at VaynerMedia, which, yep. you know, he's it's his own little, he's his, his own kind of empire. And so- Absolutely. Yeah, um, I talked so I, to uh, Haley Grant. She's uh, vice president over at VaynerMedia. And she gave us like a really deep dive. Yeah. Um, you know, and what I really liked about that conversation is it was like, so there's a little bit of confirmation for the audience. Like, how much do you all actually know about us? And she's like, everything. We know absolutely everything about yeah. you. Yeah, it's but scary. Also, 
Right, right. Like it's it's terrifying how much they know, but like go ahead and build a bridge and get over that because there's a whole lot of other way more interesting questions that none of you are asking about marketing. Like, um, you know, be, because that's the flip side of it, right? Everybody says uh, when an ad comes out. I loved that line of questioning. When an ad comes out, I think the example that we used was like the M&M's mm -hmm. rebrand where they took all the, the M&M's and they gave them like a Gen Z millennial makeover or something. I guess whatever they think the kids these days care about. <laughs> um, and a whole bunch of people looked at that and were like, was anybody asking for this? How many layers of people did this have to go through to get out? Or you see ads that are wildly problematic and you're like, how many people looked at this ad before this went out there? And the yeah. thing is, people assume, we assume, we assume there's somebody how could we there not be, right? There are many somebodies, that there are teams of somebodies that look at things before they go out for consumption for millions or billions of people. And the answer will shock you because in most cases, that answer is no. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, it's a directive from some executive and they just make it because that's what they're paid to do. So it, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Uh, it's crazy. So yeah, those are the kinds of granular behind the curtain discussions that I like to have um, yeah. where, you know, parts of parts of the stuff that we think we already know about are maybe confirmed, but then other parts blow our mind and we're like, well, what else don't I know? I, I, I love being sort of that consummate seeker. Um, I, I want to be a student forever. Yeah. Well, you can tell, you can tell <laughs> in the content that you create and and what you share online. I'm very fascinated in your book. You read, you like read books on TikTok. I do. I've, well, I've, like, I've, been, I've been reading my book on TikTok um, because a, it, it sort of blew up. Uh, it, it became like a viral video about a month and a half or so ago. Like, you know, a few million people saw just this one random TikTok that I did. Uh, and then that blew up, and, you know, got a couple million views and and got me into some rooms with a whole lot of other people at a different level of publishing than I was in. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a lot of people found me from there. And so people were asking, you know, what's the book about? Could we could we hear some of the books? So I thought, sure. So every day uh, for the last few weeks, um, I've been reading a chapter a day on on TikTok Live because I was like, hey, if you happen to tune in every single day, you will have heard the entire book for free. <laughs> well, it's awesome. And you have a great, I mean, you have a great voice. You should just well, do, you. you should do audiobooks for like- I did the audiobook, actually. I just mean like for other books. Like oh, I would love that. If you know anybody, that is, can I tell you, again, one of those biggest and smallest questions, that is one of the hardest industries to break in. That is- Is it, it really? Is so, so competitive. You would be shocked at the number of people that are very successful for doing- things with their voice that you would think, oh, well, of course you would be a shoe in for that. It is so hard to break into the audiobook industry. You know, I love that you're saying this because I feel like there are so many industries that are hard to break into, but we get sold, oh, there's this app and you can go on and it shows all of these audiobooks that need to be recorded and you just like apply and then you get them. It seems so easy. Mm -hmm. Like there, in fact, I just, there was some, I found, I found a site last year that that's exactly what they do. You basically. Like the voice one, two, three and those kinds yeah, of Yeah, like those kind. Yeah, I didn't know these things exist, but like, um, and they make it seem like, oh, it's super simple. 
and 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 you may break through in some of those. I mean, if you if you just keep trying and you knock on enough doors and you do it for long enough, you'll get a yes eventually. It might not be the yes you thought it was going to be. Um, I certainly didn't. I, I was writing a novel before I stopped writing that novel to write a book for Simon and Schuster about a whole different subject than I ever thought I was going to be writing a book about. Um, but, uh, you know, so if you knock on enough doors and you keep working, uh, hard and you believe in yourself before anybody else believes in you, eventually you'll get a yes. Uh, you just have to be prepared for whatever yes that is. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's, um, that's, yeah why, it, that's why I love talking about the creative process because people make it sound, people online can make things sound super simple and easy. And maybe it's simple, but it's not always easy, right? Like it's a, it's the you it's the showing up every single day. It's the putting in the work. It's the constant. You just have to keep improving. I mean, that's the process. Same thing with writing. So wait, the Dabbler's Guide to Witchcraft. You never thought you would write that book? Oh no, 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 no. How no. did that happen? Um. So I, uh, like I said, um, before my podcast was called Head on Fire, it was called Inciting a Riot. And I uh, started it when I was like 21, 22. I was just, I was, I was in my senior year of college. I just graduated. No, I started the blog my senior year of college. And I started the podcast a couple of months after I graduated. And what I wanted to do was sort of uh, talk about subjects in or around that new agey, spiritual, woo-woo, magical kind of space um, that people sort of danced around but never talked about. I wanted mm -hmm. to literally like incite a riot. And I did that for a long time. <laughs> I kind of took a bit of a hiatus between 2016 and 2019. Uh, there was just a lot going on in 2016 and it was real bad for my mental health. Um, and so I slowed way down. I did like a hundred episodes those first couple of years. And then I, I did like 20 over the next three years. And then I, around the 10 year anniversary, uh, so 2019, I said, well, I'm going to come back and I'm going to give it kind of like one last try and see, you know, the internet sort of changed. A lot of people have changed. Maybe we can have different kinds of conversations because I was already on that path to trying to find a way to have these bigger, bolder conversations that Head on Fire has become. And uh, uh, so I, anyway, so I, I came back. I said, you know what? I'm going to make this an interview show because it used to be these deep dive research-driven shows that were just basically me talking for an hour mm -hmm. about a subject that I thought was really interesting and I was very passionate about and uh, would do these deep dives, but always try to gear them back towards that sort of spiritual seeker audience. And um, from 2019 to the end of 2021, I did that and an audience started to find me. It was slow, but an audience started to come back. It was nowhere near the audience that I had. Anyways, during all of that time, I'm still blogging. And a blog that I wrote about um, cultural appropriation and uh, authentic representation of uh, minority and oppressed cultures when it comes to talking about their own cultures and spiritual traditions. The fact that there are a few of these sort of new age spiritual publishers out there that do publish books. I mean, it's a very small community, but there's a whole aisle at the bookstore for these people. I mean, you know, comparatively speak, because a lot of people are interested in those kinds of topics, at least during Halloween. And these niche 
publishers that publish the majority of these books typically prefer to publish books by white authors and will go so far as to give um, book contracts to white authors, but then give them a pseudonym that sounds like a black or brown person or a person from that culture. Uh, they will give Native American sounding names to a white lady living in the Northeast and, oh and you know, publish books by her, you know, that, that kind of thing. I wrote a big blog about that, had a whole bunch of research, did some interviews about that. It went viral. And I got approached by Simon and Schuster and they said, hey, we have a new imprint that we're starting to uplift voices in this sort of spiritual community. Uh, but we do take what you said to heart and we want to uh, make sure that we don't screw that up. So do you know how we could maybe find some of those people? Um, so this is actually something I haven't talked about publicly <laughs> yet. So all of those conversations started because for several months, I was working with them to try to guide them in the right direction. Like, hey, when we Google this, this is who we're finding. And I'm like, that's great. Here's who you need to be talking to. <laughs> so I gave them like lists and lists and lists. And I was talking to like a bunch of authors that I knew were like, hey, in this category, like who who should be the voice, you know, who, who should, uh, you know, I don't know anybody that from this particular, I don't know any, I don't know, practitioners of Taoism or something like who in the Tao, you know, who, who are those people? Who are those voices that should be uplifted that maybe aren't getting the spotlight that they deserve? Um, and so I worked with Simon and Schuster for several months um, to try to guide them to get those people book deals. And then along the way, they said, hey, we like you too. Um, have you ever considered writing a book? And I said, oh, if I ever wrote a book, you wouldn't want to publish it because it wouldn't sell. And they were like, why? And I said, oh, well, I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that people do in and around the spiritual community under the guise of, of authentic spirituality that's just fraud or it's, uh, you know, it's, it's lacking critical thought or something like that. Um, and, and if I ever wrote a book about that, I would, I would basically tear that tear the 101 sort of style book apart and and upend it and they were like oh we want to hear more <laughs> oh my gosh so I put together an outline and I sent it to them and I, I pitched them on what ended up becoming the dabbler's guide to witchcraft um it was originally called it didn't have that sort of witchcraft sounding name or bent in the beginning it was called ethical dabbling and it was a book about uh, it's it still is it just has a title that uh is very seo friendly um, but it was specifically geared towards people who consider themselves spiritual, but not religious and are sort of looking to find, uh, a, a version of spirituality that works for them, that is informed by science and culture and society, um, that is, that is, in, uh, appreciative of cultures and, and tries very hard to, uh, be inclusive, um, and, and that kind of thing. So that is, that is, that's the book. That's, that's what that became. It was the culmination of 11 years of me um, using my platform to sort of poke at all of the stuff that people don't really want to talk about out loud. Mm. Uh, well, no, I, let's, let's put it down. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the fact that there are frauds in our community, that there are people bilking people out of lots of money under the guise that like, I can connect you to your dead Aunt Sally. There's a lot of people out there that, uh, uh, you know, are um will tell you that uh you know uh 
I, I've seen sexual predators in, in all sorts of communities, you know, like that kind of thing. It's the kind of thing that people talk about amongst one another, but never want to put in a book. Because I think when people, people think that if we acknowledge it, if we put it in black and white, if we admit that these things exist in our community, um, that, I don't know, the entire community will fall apart. And I don't agree with that. I think mm. that if we criticize some of the uh, less favorable parts of our community, all we're going to do is excise the bad parts and make the rest better. So how was the writing process for you in writing this book? I mean, these are big ideas. Yeah, yeah, uh, they are. Um, it was quick, actually, because like I said, I mean, I had been talking about these things and researching, mm. re researching these things for many, 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 many years. And I kind of had always kept a little thing in my notes app, like if I were to ever write a book, I would want it to include a chapter on this or this or this. So um it, it wasn't hard to come up with what needed to be in the book. And, uh, you know, uh, it, the in fact, the first draft, I, I needed to turn in a draft. It was a quick turnaround, um, six months. Uh, they, they gave me six months to write the first draft um, before manuscript had to be submitted. Um, and I got it done in about four. Oh, wow. Four, something like that. Um, it was, it was like due in February and I got it done in December. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was quick, but, uh, then it went out to beta readers. It went out to a lot of beta readers, um, because I knew given the history that I had with my former show and kind of my reputation for being somebody that takes a topic and picks it apart and drills down and it's like, okay, here's the why behind the what on this given sort of my reputation for that, my editor said that um, I have been called both the Ronan Pharaoh and the Adam ruins everything of the spiritual community. So given, oh my gosh, given that that was my reputation, I knew that I needed to get this book correct <laughs> if I was going to yeah. write it. So it had a very thorough beta read. I think I had like something like 20 something um, beta readers uh, and, you know, with lots of different areas of expertise that dwarf my own uh, in all of these areas. And I think the thing that I could tell anybody who's writing anything is to make friends with other better writers than you and be very humble about feedback because people only give you feedback if they, one, know you're up for it and two, know that you are worth investing in so that you can be better. They recognize that the work that you're putting out should be out in the world. They just want it to be the best version of it. I think people get really in their feelings when they receive critique. So um, after I got all of that feedback back, then I had the second draft and I added another 20 something thousand words to it. <laughs> so I can really like, you know, hone those. And then so, but the entire process I think was about a year. It was six months for manuscript submission. So I, I gave myself enough of a chunk of time that before the official submission of the manuscript, I was actually on the second draft because um, I'd had all of that beta read. Yeah, and then it was copy edit, copy edit, copy edit, 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 edit. Uh, and then the last book, That's so exciting. And now, now that's you're- Nonfiction, nonfiction is, is easy. Fiction, man's a buster. <laughs> I was just going to say, so, um, you, so you write poetry, your, your other book is poetry mm -hmm. and, and now you're writing a novel. I am. 
Yeah, finish. No. I'm I'm on the last chapter, thankfully. Really? <laughs> yeah. So what are the differences? I mean, how is writing that first book compared to writing this novel? What are your thoughts on the whole process and what are the biggest differences that you've seen? So with um, people say that there are two different kinds of writers, that there's plotters and there's pantsers. Uh, you, you, you plot out, you know, you have really nice detailed drafts or uh, sorry, really nice detailed outlines and you know exactly sort of what needs to happen and where it needs to go and what points are going to make where and that kind of thing. And that, that's a plotter. That's somebody that's got it all plotted out, yep. whether it's fiction or nonfiction. Um, and then there's a pantser. And that's somebody that just makes it up, that flies by the seat of their pants. Sort of <laughs> like, well, I want to write a book about this, and I don't know how I'm going to get there. I feel like there's like maybe a couple of beats I want to hit, and I don't know how I'm going to do it or how I'm going to get there, but I know I'm going to get there. And it turns out I'm a plotter when it comes to nonfiction, and I am a pantser when it comes to fiction. Ah. Um, so it, I write very slowly when it comes to fiction because I... I very much overthink every line. I, I lack a lot of mm. confidence there, mostly because I'm like, okay, well, can, should it be like this or should it be like this? I'm very in my head. Um, so, you know, uh, plus I work a full-time job still on top of everything. So, you know, the most productive writing hours for me are somewhere between like 10 and two. And unfortunately I'm working during that time. So it's a lot of like trying to shove writing into different parts of my day. So that, that, that means that a lot of it is very slow going, but uh, we're almost there. Almost oh, there. That's so exciting. I don't know if you've ever read Anne Lamott's book, Bird by Bird. She, I mean, it's basically about the writing process, but it's a beautiful book. And she, I heard her do an interview and she talked about when you're writing a novel, when you're writing pieces, everyone asks her about like plot points and this and that. And she always kind of brings it back to, it's about the characters. Your yeah. characters lead the story and you can tell, oh no, this character wouldn't do that. This isn't the direction that they would take. So she basically talked about how it's so important to really breathe life into the characters and they will take you through the journey that it needs to be. And it's-, it's that, awesome. that very much resonates with me. I'm a character first kind of uh, author, um, you know, and as I get to know these characters and, and really solidify their personalities, I'm already making notes about like, okay, on the second draft, I need to transform these chapters. And, the, you know, now that I know who these people are, now I can go back and uh, Neil Gaiman has a uh, sentence that he says, um, and I'm going to butcher it. Uh, but it's something like, you know, your first draft is you write down everything that happens and your second draft is you make it look like you did it on purpose. Mm, uh, yeah. So you know, your first draft, just forgive yourself. It's going to be garbage, um, but you just need to get down everything that happens or all of the points that you want to make. And then your second draft, you know, give yourself some space, give, you know, maybe, maybe have a couple of people read that first draft, kind of bounce some ideas off of uh, other folks, but just realize that it was, it was a starting point. It's not the end. And, you know, even, even if you're somebody that gets it traditionally published, you are going to have umpty eleven edits between the version that you wrote in the beginning and the version that's in the book. So yeah. just don't be so precious with it. It's no. going to change and it needs to change. It yeah. needs to. 
Yeah. You have to get it all out in order to create what needs to be created. And that's, I think the biggest, one of the biggest challenges in writing is to get out that horrible first draft, to get out the, just the crap that it needs to be just so it's out of your head and then you figure it out, but there's no other way you have to go through the process. Um, Oh my gosh. I know I have to let you go. And, um, but I do have a question because I love that you said you have a full-time job. What do you do for a living? I am a fraud investigator. <laughs> I heard you say that on that video. And I said, that is not at all what I would guess that this man does for a living. But I love that because, so, uh, so I fully believe that people should do what they love, even if it's not their full-time job and that we can all explore our creativity Mm -hmm. no matter what. And so I love that you have all of these pieces. And for those of you that are listening, you're probably like, wait a second. I thought Don does this full-time because and so this is just a testament to you can explore your creativity and writing and podcasting and all of those pieces while you are earning an income doing something else should you choose well, and I think that that's also a really important lesson I did a follow-up to that viral video of mine because people are like oh my gosh your book went viral you know that's you hit the book jackpot and all of that and I think that um again this is one of those things that people think they know everything about but they don't actually most of your most of the people on the New York Times bestseller list like most of you know the books that you like from authors that you like, that even if they end up on the New York Times bestseller list, those people probably still have full-time jobs, or at least they work, they do something else. I don't think that people realize how little money is in publishing. Um, Uh, So like, say you make a six-figure book advance, you make a $120,000 book advance. These days, that gets broken up into three, sometimes even four chunks. You might get one chunk at the beginning, but that's, that might be $30,000. Could you live an entire year on $30,000 pre-tax? That's, you haven't even taken taxes out. Is that, do you make 30,000 a year? Could you live on that? Could you quit your full-time job and write this? Cause then they give you a year to write the book, usually something like that, six months to a year. And then you don't get another check until you've written the book and they accept the book. Then you might get another bit of that uh, when the book comes out, which could be a year, two years later. And then that final fourth isn't coming to authors these days until six months to a year after the book has already been out. So yeah, you might make 80, 90, $100,000 book advance. And that sounds like a great payday, but you're not quitting your job over that money. And unless you happen to fall backwards into becoming the next Stephen King, you're probably going to need to keep a job because, you know, it, it's so rare. It really is so rare. The average book in America sells 500 copies. Um, and, and to be a success in your genre might be 3,000 copies, 5,000 copies, 10,000 copies, which is not quit your job money. So I think yeah. people need to temper their expectations, you can be a successful author, a truly successful author by any standard and still need a job. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, uh, it's almost like I think about when comedians talk about, oh, if you can do anything else, don't just do something else. Don't be a comedian, but like, it's the love of it. It is the love of it. It's the pure love of it. And I think with writing for, for a lot of writers, I mean, I guess, 
you know, everything is relative. It depends on who you're talking to. But what I, I study a lot of writers. I love reading books about writing. And I feel like the constant is you have to love writing. Oh, yeah. You have to love the process. You have to love, you know, writing horrible drafts. And yeah, that's, that's part of the whole process of writing. All right. My last question to you, because I always ask every one of my guests this question about creativity for our audience. What is one activity that you can share 10 minutes or less that will spark someone's creativity? Oh my gosh. Something you can do in less than 10 minutes that will spark somebody's creativity. Um, <laughs> watch a movie by Hayao Miyazaki. <laughs> I don't know. Uh yeah, um, sure. Yeah, I feel like there's there's something in there for everybody. He's the guy behind Studio Ghibli, so My Neighbor Totoro or something like that. I don't know. Look, look at great art, whatever mm. you think that is. Look at great art, um, but look at like a lot of it all at once. So like a movie or go to a museum. I mean, you know, uh, go to, you know, museum websites have their entire collection up that you can kind of wander through from the privacy of your own home. Go look at that. I don't know. I'm just, oh gosh, 10 minutes or less. Go, ooh, oh, work out. There we go. Go for a run, obviously. Like go be physical um, because when we're trying to force an idea, we get really stuck. Um, so for me, I, I have to work out before. I have friends that are like, no, I get up in the morning and full-time author friends that are very, very successful. And they're like, no, no, no. Before I do anything else, I get up, I go to my keyboard and I write X number of words. And I'm like, I would not write a single word, not a single word if I did that, because I need to get my brain going. Yeah. Um, so do a quick bit of exercise, get the, get your mind sort of blank. I don't meditate. I can't meditate. I can't sit there and be still and quiet, but I can go, I can go work out. And that kind of gets my brain into that sort of negative headspace. I cannot tell you the number of short stories that I've written at the gym because I've been at the gym and an idea will just sort of dislodge itself. And I'm like, I need to get this down now. (laughs) I love it. Oh, it's so true. And yes, I am the same way. I'm like, I get out of bed quick, quick. And I'm doing my workout like it's like the first day does not feel right without it no it's like leaving the house and realizing you don't have your like wedding ring on or something like that it's like oh I what did I not do today I feel very naked today something feels wrong (laughs) it's 10 a.m and I haven't been to the gym I don't like that that's yeah so I don't know do something physical or if you're already a very physical person do whatever the opposite of that is so do that for 10 minutes Oh my gosh. I love it. All right, Don, it was so wonderful to get to connect with you. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Kate. Thanks so much. And there you have it. I told you we talked about so many different things. I really enjoyed this conversation because it was interesting to hear Don talk about the way that he approaches creativity, how he approaches his podcast and the interviews. And honestly, it was a really good insight into the creative process right? We got to hear about how he started working with Simon and Schuster and his writing process and just how he kind of morphed the podcast. Because we're when we're out there creating content, 
only by creating and getting feedback and understanding what people want can we really get better at our craft, whatever our craft is. And so I hope you got something out of this episode. If you did, let me know. I would love to hear what was your favorite part of the episode. Message me over on Instagram or on LinkedIn. I also really enjoyed his three different answers to the question of in 10 minutes or less, what would you do to spark your creativity? I never tell guests that I'm going to ask that question. So unless they actually listen to the show, they, they wouldn't know. And I always love hearing those answers. I don't, I don't tell them I'm going to ask that question purposely because I think it's a fun impromptu. You have to, you know, you have to decide what you're going to say right on the spot. So I think his answers were great. I love the art one. The art one was cool, especially when you just started describing art, because when you hear the word art, what do you think? Because I immediately thought of a museum and pictures, and then he threw out all different types of art, music, uh, music and well, I don't think he said music because you can't look at music, but you can feel music, <laughs> but movies and art and photography and all these different things that we can look at to kind of spark our creativity, which I thought was a really fun activity and exercise. So let me know if you decide to do that and how that works for you. You are awesome. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, go create something.